Father, take my words and speak with them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Today is the Feast of the Transfiguration. This always falls on the last Sunday of Epiphany. Uh, Just a recap of the season. We recognize that in Advent we celebrated the fact that the King was coming. In the Christmas season we celebrated the fact that the King is here. And now in this Epiphany season, as as small as six weeks, as long as nine weeks, we celebrate different manifestations or revelations or uncoverings of the character of the Messiah. And that climaxes today on the exposure of Christ being transfigured on the mountain. Verse 1 here says, Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on a mountain. After what sayings? Well, that goes back to two paragraphs earlier where Jesus takes his disciples on a kind of a spiritual retreat to Caesarea Philippi. And there he does his own kind of epiphany, his manifestation, and he asks the probing question, who do men say that I am? And the disciples say, well, we've talked to the crowd, and the crowd, some of them say, you're John the Baptist back from the dead, you're one of the prophets come back, some say that you're Jeremiah. Jesus then says, who do you say that I am? And Peter famously says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Three decades after the transfiguration, Peter would write in his first epistle, we are eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from the God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with thee I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Obviously, the transfiguration had a major effect on Peter the Apostle. Now, what I want to focus on is that Jesus is leading his disciples to an epiphany recognition that he is not what they think he is. What were they expecting when they said, you are the Christ? Well, I think they were thinking you're a kind of a Gideon. Gideon delivered the people from the Midianites, giving them political freedom and economic protection. He's like David, who drove out the Philistines once and for all, giving them, again, political freedom and economic protection. Is this what Jesus was supposed to do? I think most of the disciples, maybe all of the disciples, think exactly that. But Messiah, it's a Hebrew word, means the anointed one. And in Greek, Christos means the anointed one. We say in English, the anointed one. He is anointed, he is empowered, he is gifted by God to do what? And that is what the transfiguration is about. In this story, Jesus appears with two characters, Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing all of the prophets. The entire Old Testament of law and prophet is about Jesus. 
And not just about Jesus, but about what He is going to do. He is going to be a sacrifice for sin. And this leads us to the big question there, where they were discussing the departure that He was to accomplish. Now, Luke says the departure He was to accomplish. Matthew and Mark tell the same story, but they don't use that word. And the word is a Greek word, but it refers to an Old Testament event. The word actually in Greek is the word exodus. They were discussing the exodus that Jesus was to accomplish. Who were the Jews? The Jews were people who had experienced the exodus, who had been brought out by signs and miracles out of slavery under Pharaoh into a promised land. That is the definitive event of who a Jew is. And now Jesus is going to do another exodus. But His freedom is not a free freedom from political slavery under Pharaoh, but spiritual slavery under Satan. And that is the exodus they're discussing. And so what does the voice from heaven say? This is my sermon title, so get this and don't miss it. God says, You are my beloved Son, my chosen. That's simply recapping Psalm 2. It's identifying Jesus as Messiah. But then it changes what was said at baptism. It adds these new words. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Peter wants to talk. Peter's one of those guys that no matter what's going on, he wants to talk. There's some people that just are like that in life. They just like to talk. I, I, I love the story later here where it says that he says to Moses and Elijah, let us build three booths, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then the commentator adds, he said this because he didn't know what to say. I just think that's so funny. I mean, there, most people, when they don't know what to say, don't say anything. But some people, when they don't know what to say, that doesn't stop them. They just keep on moving. And that's Peter. So God says to him and to us, listen to him. What are we to be listening for? We're to be listening for the fact that Jesus is redefining what it means One, to be the Messiah, and two, what it means to be a human being. The revelation of Jesus on the mountain is not just the revelation of Him as Messiah or the revelation of Him as God. It is, I would argue, primarily the revelation of Him as the second Adam, the true man. And that's a relevant question to us because we want to be true human beings. And what is a true human being? Now, I've gone into this twice before in Epiphany. Let me touch it one more time. It is to be the servant of the Lord. There are five songs which are given in the book of Isaiah. And Jesus redefines His, if I could put it crassly, His job description from those five songs. He is a servant of the Lord. Who who wants to be a servant? And that's not exciting. We don't want to be servants. We want to be the ones who are served along the way. But Jesus comes as a servant. And He also says, what is true for me is also true. If I have come to be the servant of the Lord, you are servants of the Lord. There's a big question among Jewish scholars, both before Christ and after Christ, whether 
the servant of the Lord is an individual or a group. And that's not altogether clear, but we Christians know it's both. It's primarily Jesus is the servant of the Lord, but it's also every single Christian is the servant of the Lord. The whole church is a servant body. Christians are servants. Not primarily churchgoers, though we go to church. Not primarily church members, though we are members of the body called the church. Not primarily Bible students, though we listen to sermons and study the Bible on our own. Not primarily financial pleasures, though we are to financially support the work of the kingdom. What are Christians? Christians are servants. And question, are you listening to Jesus? That's what God says. Listen to Him. Are you letting Him define the essence of who you are as a human being, a servant of the Lord? We resist that message. That's why it takes even a voice from heaven to press it home. If you were to go to St. Bede's Episcopal Church in Santa Fe, Mexico, you might have trouble getting into the parking lot. There's only one entrance, and there's a sign there, and it says, Servant's Entrance. If you want to go to church there, you can't get in without confessing that you are a servant. We had a building program in the works when I was at my church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And one of the things we had planned was that going out, there was only one road which went out and then went down sort of the steep road. And we had two brick pillars and there was light on that and all. But on the sides it had a brass plaque that said, Servants Exit. And I I love that thought. I I wanted to go out to the parking lot and watch to see if people would leave the parking lot and say, well, I'm not owning that. And would drive around in circles looking for uh, a real exit. Maybe even drive across the lawn and down the road in order to avoid saying that they were servants. But we should rejoice in that because Jesus rejoiced in being a servant. At the end of our service, the deacon will say, let us go forth to love and serve the Lord. We come into church and we worship God. We are nurtured by word and sacrament. And then what? Is it over? No. The deacon says, okay, part two, you've come here. Now, part two, go into the world and serve the Lord. In fact, the deacon is the one who announces that, not the priest. And why is that? Because the very word deacon in uh, in Greek is the word diakonos, servant. In the New Testament, we don't know whether to translate that sometime as deacon, the title in the church, or whether just servant in general. It's ambiguous. But it applies to all of us. We are all servants. I even did something a little bit playful in the bulletin this Sunday. It won't be there next week, so don't worry about it. But for for the processional hymn, we call that the processional hymn. I called it Procession In. And then at the very end of the service, we have Procession Out. We process into church to be nurtured by word and sacrament. And then we process into the world to do the work that God has given us to do. In and out. Almost like breathing. And again, let me say for the hundredth time from this pulpit, 
Billy Graham said Jesus had only two words in his vocabulary. Come and go. Here we are. We have come, but then we will go. But that is a going as servants. I think of my friend Rob Webster in uh, Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Uh, this is a great family. He was at one time senior warden. His wife was a Sunday school teacher. Two of his boys were in my youth group. On one Sunday, they went to Eaton Park. If you are from Pittsburgh, you know Eaton Park, a home of the smiling cookie. And they pulled up, and here was his family in distress with smoke coming out. And Rob stopped, can we help you? A man and his three kids said, yeah, we got a problem here. I think i got a busted hose of some kind. So they got out, and he and two of his three boys pushed the car up the way and off to the side and out of the way. And they said, who are you? What are you doing? He says, well, I'm going to visit my sister. She lives in Indiana. We've been living down south, and we barely enough money for gas to get there. Now I don't know what we're going to do. Rob says, I know a mechanic. So he called a mechanic who was a member of my church, and he came with his truck, and he picked up the car, and he took it. And he says, well, come and have uh, breakfast with us. He said, I can't afford breakfast, and we just have enough money for gas. And he said, it's on the house. Come and have breakfast with us. So four adults at one table and six kids at another table, and they had a good time. And then it wasn't ready yet. They had to send to get a part from elsewhere. So he said, come up to our house. So they sat on the back porch and drank lemonade. The six kids threw a Frisbee. The report came that the car was ready. They took him down. Rob paid for the thing. They all held hands and asked God's blessing on them. And then they waved him off as he drove toward a new adventure in their life. And Rob came up to me the following Sunday and told me this story. And he said, Brad, that was just one of the best things we've ever done. And it was so exciting. And our kids were part of it too. And the church ought to do something about this. And I said, the church has already done something about it. We don't have to go to the vestry, create a committee for indigent people traveling. We don't need to have a special fund approved by the vestry for uh, uh, money for these people. He was a servant of the Lord, and he served these people in that wonderful way. I also love the story about Rose Mary Hart. That's two different names, Rose and Mary. She was a little letter carrier in rural West Virginia since 1969. In an interview for a magazine, she said, For my first seven years as a letter carrier, I tried to do my job as efficiently and promptly as I could. But in 1976, I met Jesus. And now I entered into my work differently. I started to listen to people on my route in a new way. I began to share their pain and joy. When I listened, I heard the turmoil inside. I heard the domestic violence. I even broke up a few fights. I've seen latchkey kids sitting out on the steps in 10-degree weather because they forgot the key. I hear the frustration of working mothers. They come out and they talk to me, and I listen. Sometimes I don't even have time to think about a response, but I do what I can. And sometimes word comes to me that something I said was heard. I just walk down the street, but I think I've made a difference. 
That's what it is to be a servant of the Lord. To be, as Jesus called us, to be the salt of the earth wherever we are, serving people and helping people in whatever condition we are. This is my son. Listen to him. He's a servant. And we're to be servants. Are you doing that? Are you letting him teach you? First, letting him teach you who he is, the servant of the Lord. And that means letting him serve you. And then secondly, letting him teach you who you are, the servants of the Lord. Hudson Taylor, a wonderful missionary in the 19th century to China, wrote, uh, I used to ask God if I would come and help, if he would come and help me. And then I asked God if I might come and help him. And then I ended by asking God to do his own work through me. That is our call as servants. Let us pray. Blessed God, we thank you that your Son is our servant, delivering us from sin and death, causing us to be born anew and afresh, pouring out his Spirit, and leading us in the ways that lead to everlasting life. We pray, Lord, that we as servants might share in that ministry, that we might let him come and serve this world through us and what we do. For we ask it in his holy name. Amen.